Today we're going to look at the importance of living a life of generosity. The importance of living a life of generosity. And I can tell you, this is one of the areas uh, that God and, and through his Holy Spirit has really worked in my own life. Um, I believe everyone on earth is going to be given an opportunity, hopefully you've had this already happen in your life, where God speaks to you, and he calls you to a place of repentance, and he says, believe in me. And at that moment, there's a transition. There was a life, I call it your BC, before Christ. Then you come to Christ, and now you're living for Christ. And I, and I, and I believe through God's word that he tells us that we're, we're new creations. The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That there's a newness to life. And there's things in your life that God has to clean up. And there's things in your life, there's sins in your life that have, uh, that have been prevalent, that need to be dealt with. And for me, one of those areas was selfishness. And it was it's something that God had to work in my life. When I finished my undergrad at Liberty, I had a friend that was dealing with real estate investing, and he was flipping houses, and he was buying up apartment buildings, and uh, he was uh, accumulating wealth, and he invited me to come live with him and to learn how to do that. And he gave me a bunch of books to read, and I would read these books, and one of the books I will, I will remember forever said OPM. You, when you look at somebody, it's always OPM. You want to get other people's money. So everyone becomes a possible investor in you. And so when you see people, you don't really see that. Don't look at people as people. Look at them as dollars, dollar signs. And everyone is a potential investor in you and your business and what you're doing. And I can remember just feeling convicted that this isn't how God wants me to look at people. This isn't how the Holy Spirit wants me to live my life. And that was one of the things that God used in my life to convict me to go back to seminary and to follow him uh, in the ministry. Because I recognized, I recognized that I, I would have been a very selfish person, a very self-centered person, that I would have been living just for myself and what I could accumulate, what I could get. And that was something God had to work on me and continues to work on me. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Today, I still need this in my life. I need the Holy Spirit of God to teach me to be a generous person, not a stingy person. One of the books I read talked about a, a, one of the, the richest men in, in all of the United States. His name was John D. Rockefeller. At age 33, he earned his first million dollars. At age 40, 43, he controlled the biggest company in the world. At age 53, he was the richest man on earth, and he was worth more than a billion dollars. And he had everything that the world thought you should have. And I looked at him, and I looked at his story, and for much of my life in that, those early years, that would have been something to look at and want. Greed, wanting to be successful, wanting to have. And I think that's something we all struggle with. It's something we all deal with. And uh, I heard another story. It was about a father. I heard this story from the father that um, he took his seven-year-old son to McDonald's. And they went through the drive through and they left. And in the car, there was that beautiful smell of French fries. It perforated the air. And he smelled it, and he, his son was sitting there, and he, he, he grabbed back out of the bag three French fries, and he ate the French fries. And his seven-year-old son said, Dad, you can't have those French fries. They're mine. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and the dad, as he's telling the story, he says, I had three thoughts when I did that. I had three, the first thought is, first of all, I'm the one who bought those French fries. <laughs> I'm the one who's in charge of the French fries, not you, little guy. Right? His second thought was, I can buy all the fries I want. I can go back and buy a hundred fries. Don't tell me what I can and can't do with your fries. 
right? And then his third thought was, I didn't have to buy you those fries in the first place, right? And then he talks about how it hit him that that's kind of how we deal with God. That's kind of how we interact with God. God, you cannot ask me for that. God, you cannot take that. That is mine. Those are my three fries. How dare you eat my fries? And God is saying, look, I don't need your fries. I made your fries, and I didn't have to give you them in the first place. And so this morning, I don't know where, you may be the most generous person on the planet Earth, or you may be uh, struggling with this, but I think this is very important for us as followers of Christ. I believe this is one of the things that God has called his church to reflect in how we live our lives so that when people look at us, if you're a believer today, and if you're not a believer, this is great because you're going to get to hear and see what believers are supposed to be like, that we are called to be generous people. Greed is not good. There's a movie that came out in 1987 called Wall Street, and the main character was played by Michael Douglas, and he has a very famous line, and his line is, greed is good. Greed is good. And so this morning, as we listen to James, we listen to the Holy Spirit who told James what to write, we need to ask ourselves, is greed good? Now, superficially, I think we would all say, obviously, greed is not good. But our lives answer that question much more than our words. Our lives and actions answer this question regardless of what we say. And that's why it's such an important question, because it shows our hearts, and it shows us who we really are, and it shows us what God wants us to be. So let's listen to God and see what he has to say to us. Let's precede his word with prayer. Father God, you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of all that we have. Um, You are a generous God. And you love us dearly. You've called us together. You've planted this place. You've called us here to worship you. You've called us here to partner with all these different ministries. You've called us here to to care for the needs of those in our community. You've called us here to be generous in so many different ways. Lord, help our hearts to be tender. Help our minds to be clear. Lord, help us to understand what it is to be your child, what it is to be a disciple of Christ, what it is to be just like you. And Lord, help us um, if there's anything we're holding on to, anything that's just hindering us, anything that is a roadblock from us being what you want us to be. I pray that you would release us from that this morning as we read Read your words. Help us to understand and grow and become what you want us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Uh, One of the things we need to recognize, and I say this a lot, is we need to know the context. One of the ways you fall in love with God's word is you dive deep into God's God's word. If uh, your practice is just to read it on the surface and just kind of skim through it, I don't think you'll ever fall in love with it. Uh, God's word is just like a relationship with you have with another person. The more you get to know the person, the more you want to know what they have to say, the more what they say means to you. And so context is important as a believer in Christ. It's important when I read God's word to know who wrote it, to whom, and why did they write it, and what does it mean to me, and how can I live it out, and how does it apply? 
All of those questions lead me to a deeper relationship with God and a deeper relationship with the author who is the Holy Spirit. And so for us to do that, we need to understand that when James wrote this, he wrote it during a time when the, when the Jewish leaders of his time were very overbearing. They were, they were using their power to undermine the people around them. Now, where we live in, in this place, there's a lot of professions that can make you a lot of money. I remember when I went to Haiti, and I, and I was meeting with some of the Haitians, I recognized that there were only two professions everybody wanted to be. They either wanted to be a professor or they wanted to be a doctor because those were the only two professions that they thought could make any money in life. And so there were only, in every culture, there's those things that everyone aspires to be because once you get there, you have wealth and you have power and you have authority and you start getting things instead of always having to give things. And in this time, in this place where James lived, the priest was that position. The priest had the power. The priest had the money. The priest had the authority. And the priests and the religious leaders of Jesus' time and James's time would abuse their power. They would abuse their power. And the Romans would abuse their power. And the landowners that were connected, all of these groups are connected, they would abuse their power and they would overcharge, they would be unjust, they would undermine their workers, they would work them to death. There were no laws, there were no labor unions, there were nothing keeping them from actually literally working their people to death. And so James is writing a letter to fellow believers that have been scattered all over the world because they've been persecuted so uh, ferociously. And in those situations, much of them have been overwhelmed by these people they're supposed to trust, these powerful people who have wealth, and he's confronting the greed of his day. For many of these people, and I'm sure you didn't think you'd see a picture from the movie Wall Street this morning in church, but many of them live like that. They lived like greed is good and use people because people are useless and valueless. And so he's writing to a people that understand the concept of being unjustly abused by those in a power and authority who have wealth. And this is what he writes. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because the misery that is coming on you, your wealth is rotted. And the moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. James is directing his comments at those in his time that lived for today. They didn't recognize that they are eternal in nature. They didn't recognize that this life is but a vapor, and yet there's an eternity that we all have in front of us. And that eternity has a, has a major impact on this, this vapor. And the result, the final result of this greed, the final result of this greed that the people had in James' time was death, corrosion, destruction. You see, they didn't ask these important questions. They didn't think about these important questions, questions we need to think about regularly. How much of our money did we bring in when we were born? How much of our ability did we bring with us when we were born? How much of our stuff did we bring into this world? How much of our money and our stuff and our ability are we going to take with us out of this world? So who really owns all of it? 
Who owns all that we see? No. Who owns the particles, the atoms, the structures, and the systems that exist within the universe? Who owns all of that? God owns it. And he's leased it. He's leased it to you and to me. And at the end of the lease, when the lease is called, he calls you in and he says, all right, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? Two questions. We've talked about this before. Two questions. What did you do with Jesus? And what did you do with the life I gave you? What did you do with Jesus? And what did you do with the life that I gave you? These are the things we need to consider. These are things these people were not considering. All they were considering is how do I get more stuff tomorrow and how can I use people to get what I want? And James and God do not like that. They do not tolerate that. They are not okay with that approach to life. They are not okay when when you go to other countries and see that the rich have overpowered the poor and they are keeping them in poverty by their injustice. They're not okay when they look at the world and see people that don't have fresh water to drink and no food and no shelter and no hope of anything. They're not okay. God is not okay when he looks at the earth and he sees evil people using weak people for their own benefit. And we may not see it. I'm sure we do see it here, but you do not see it as clearly here as you see in other places in the world. There are places that are horrendous today in the world. I can remember when I was in Haiti and we were talking to some of the local people and they said the worst thing that could happen to you, the worst thing that could happen to you is to get arrested. Because what they would do is they would just come into an area and they would arrest everyone that was in that area and take them to the jail. Now at the jail, you had about a one foot by one foot area in that jail that was committed to you. And so every day you had about a one foot by one foot area. They said it was worse than death. And you know what would happen? They would get put in the jail and the corrupt drug dealers would get out, the innocent farmer would stay in there and die. Do you know God hates that? Do you know that that's the life of many people in this world, in China, in India, in in the Middle East, in Syria? So many places have issues that we can't even imagine the difficulties these people are going through. And James is saying here that there will be a time of judgment. This will be judged. This will be dealt with. Don't get anywhere near this approach in life. He continues on. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed the fields, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You know, God cares about injustice. God put the church here to deal with injustice. Freedom to lead exists so that the gospel can bring justice to the world. All of the missions that we support are there to bring the gospel, which brings justice to the world. It brings value to the human person. It puts value on every soul, that everyone matters. The handicapped matters. The elderly matters. These, these are things that do not exist in places that the gospel hasn't made it to yet. And so we need to recognize that. And we need to value that. James is, is really saying to all of us today... Are we willing to deal with this reality? Now, in all of that, here's what's easy for me to do. Here's what is easy for me to do. Well, that's them, right? That's them. That's those bad leaders over another... Those are those corrupt uh, officials here. Those are them. That's not me. That's not me. Do you know who's rich? We are rich. 
We are very rich. We're not just rich in the world standards. We're rich in all of human history standards. Uh, when it's measured out, if you take all the billions of people that have ever lived, guess who had electricity? Guess who had clean running water? Guess who had air conditioners? Guess who had running cars? Guess who had systems where you could drive your car to somewhere? We are in the 1% of the 1%. All of us in this room are in the most blessed category of all history. These rich that we read about here are nothing compared to what we have. Nothing. And James is saying, be careful. Be careful that this isn't what you define yourself as. Be careful that you don't fall into the traps of everything that's around you. Be careful that you aren't misusing others for your own benefit. Be careful that greed doesn't lead your heart. Be careful that greed doesn't lead your thoughts. Be careful that greed isn't your motivation. Be careful that greed isn't your love. So how do you do that? How can we make sure that we don't fall into the traps of greed? Because you know what greed leads to? Do you know what greed leads to? Death. Greed leads to death. Why is greed not good? Because greed leads to death. Fortunately for us, we are given some information that helps us to overcome the issue of greed. In 1 Timothy 6.17, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world, that would be you and me, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God has provided for you because he wants you to enjoy your life? He wants you to enjoy knowing him. He wants you to enjoy loving people. He wants you to enjoy growing and maturing in your faith. He does not create it for a burden. He does not create it so that you can hate it and bear it and grin it and make it through. He has created life because life in him is abundant. It is beyond what we can imagine. But the problem is, the problem we don't feel that, the problem why we don't just allow that to overtake us is because we're still kind of playing with greed. We still kind of go into the pool of greed. We still kind of drink from the cup of greed. And as long as we do that, we'll never sense what he's saying here. We'll always be in the middle. And so here's what he says. Command them to do good, to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Did you know that you can't have abundant life until you learn generosity? Some of you in this room, I know, are extremely generous people. And if I had you come give a testimony this morning, you would reiterate what I'm saying. And you say it is so much better to be generous than to be greedy. It is so much more life-giving to be generous than to be greedy. You know, there was a time I was really greedy in life when I was a little boy and it was Christmas and I didn't care about what gift I gave everybody and I didn't care about what anyone else was getting. All I cared about was what I was getting. 
But now I have kids. Do you know what gives me the most joy on Christmas now? It is not what I get. It is waiting for them to open what they get. What's the difference? I was immature. I was a little boy. I didn't know what real life was all about. We don't want to fall into that same trap spiritually. We don't want to fall into the trap where we think that somehow getting is better than giving. We don't want to fall into the trap where we somehow think that greediness is better than generosity. And so this morning, James is bringing it to us and he's saying, this is it. Are you going to uh, be generous in your life? Are you going to fill other people's cups? Or are you going to just look to fill your own cup? That's the question. For some of us, that's keeping us from joy. That's keeping us from what God has for us. That's keeping us from his plan for our life. Is because we're not willing to give up the greed. And I'm telling you this morning uh, that the answer right now is just say, God, take it from me. It's yours. I don't want this greed anymore. I want to be a generous person. I don't want to say, those aren't your fries. They're mine. I want to give you the whole box. I want to give you my shirt. If you need my car, you need my house, whatever is mine is his. And if he needs it, then they can have it. That is the life that you were created to have. That is the life that God wants you to have. I started out talking about John D. Rockefeller. Well, I didn't tell you the whole story. When John D. Rockefeller was 53 years old, he he got a disease where all of his hair fell out and he could no longer eat. And though he was making a million dollars a week, he he could only uh, drink little bits of milk and eat crackers. That was all he could eat. And the people hated him. They hated him. Even the, the newspapers were already writing his obituary because they, were, they knew he was going to die. And, and they were excited and happy that this guy was going to die because they thought he was so greedy. And it's just like, you know, a Christmas carol. He, he has a dream and he recognizes that he's not going to take any of this money when he dies. And God convicts his heart. And one day he just gets up when he's 53 years old and he decides I'm going to give it all away. And so he gave some to the church, he gave some to start hospitals, he gave some to scientists, and through his investments, penicillin was invented, and hospitals were started, and guess what happened? His hair grew back, and he could eat again, and orphanages were started, and lives were built up, and he said he felt more joy giving his money away than he ever did in getting that money. And when he died, his doctor said he was supposed to die at 53. They gave him months to live. I'm going to make sure I say this right. He lived to 98 years old. You know of him. You've heard his name. Because there was a point in his life. Yes, it was dramatic. It was different than us. We didn't get to get to that level. But it's the same. He got to a point where he recognized that greed brings death and generosity brings life. Greed brings death and generosity brings life. And James says, your greed is bringing you death. Get some life by being generous. Live with a generous heart. And all of these things you stress out about and have anxiety about will fade away. You can't control it. You can't keep it. Because when you're faithful to God, this is so amazing to me. This is the one area that God says, try to outdo me in it. Try to be more generous than me. See if you can. 
Have you ever taken God up on that? God says in his word, in the Ten Commandments, he says it to us in giving. He says, go ahead and try me in this. Try me and see if you can be more generous than me. Try and see if you can be more generous than me. Try to outgive God. You can't do it. You cannot outgive God. This morning, have you even stepped up to the plate in that challenge? And here's the thing. I don't want you to think we're just talking about your money. Generosity is much more than money. How do we apply this this morning? Ask God to give you an eternal perspective. Ask God to give you an eternal perspective. Submit whatever you have to the Lord. And then I believe this is so important for us to recognize. Be generous on purpose. Be generous on purpose. Here's how you can be generous with your time. You know your neighbor who has a little baby and they could use some help? Be generous with your time. You know someone in your life that could use some help, some support? Be generous with your time. Be generous with your energy. Don't use all your energy on you. Learn to use your energy on helping others. Don't just use energy to make money for yourself. Use the energy, the calories that you burn to help other people. Find ways, whether it's Tuesdays and Thursdays by helping here at the food pantry, while it's getting involved in the community, whether it's helping out with the the Grace House, wherever it is, burn your calories serving other people. Be generous with your energy. Be generous with your knowledge, your kids, your grandkids, people in your life that listen to you and they care what you have to say. Be generous with your knowledge. Give away what God has taught you. Give away generously to people things that they need to hear that will encourage them and grow them. Be generous with your knowledge. Be generous with your gifts. If you know how to play an instrument, teach someone else how to play an instrument. If you know how to build something with your hands, teach someone else how to build something with their hands. Be generous with what you're good at. Don't hold it to yourself. Don't be greedy with your gifts. Be generous with your gifts. Be generous with your influence. Use your influence to bring other people up. Use your influence to help other people. Use your influence in a generous way. Don't hold your influence only for what you want. You see, generosity is so much more than dollars. It's a lifestyle. And let me tell you something. If you start living this way and you commit yourself to be generous in every way, guess who's generous in every way to you? Your creator. Your creator. But it takes an intentional, planned response that I will be generous. I will be generous as a human being until I am no longer alive. I will be generous in my prayer life. I will be generous in how I talk to people. I will be generous in what I give of myself. This is life transformation. This is what God intended his church to be like. When people drive by the church, they should look at this church and say, that church is full of people that are generous and loving. I want to be part of that because it's so generous. That is why we exist. You see, this morning we're going to come to the communion table, the most generous gift we've ever been given. Do you know how God demonstrated his love for you? By generosity. He gave his one and only son. He gave his most valuable thing to us because we're that valuable to him.
This morning, as we come to the table, as we consider communion, first I would ask you, are you twice born? Are you alive spiritually? Jesus was very clear. He said, you cannot earn this. This is something only I can give you, but you must receive it. 1 John 5.13 says, I have written you these things who believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus, so that you may know that you have eternal life. When you repent and you believe and you receive the gift of Christ, you know you're saved. And so to come to the table, to come to communion, do you know that? Do you know that you're his? That you have received the gift of eternal life and that you are his child? And secondly, what is God telling you? You see, we're told throughout the New Testament never to take this lightly. Communion is more important than almost any other thing we do in church. Because we were reflecting on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And in this is one of the most serious things for us to consider with these brains that we have. It is one of the most serious things for us to, as a family, as a group of people to reflect on. It says this is so serious. If we don't take it serious, if we don't make sure we're right coming into this, that we will receive illness and curse upon our lives if we don't take this serious. This is not something to take in lightly. This is not something we do out of ritual. This is not something we do so that we can mark it down that we did it. This is not something we do so that we keep a tradition alive. This is something that is real and living and powerful. And it is the most powerful truth that exists in the world. That we have salvation in Christ alone. Through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so now as we come to this place... My encouragement to you is we're going to pass a plate, and in the plate, there's a cup, and on the top of the cup, there's a piece of bread that you pull open. That bread represents the body of Christ that was perfect. It was pierced for our sin. It was sacrificed for us. The cup, the juice represents the blood of Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the new commitment that he has to us. If you're a follower of Christ, I would encourage you in these moments, these moments as we lead to this time, that you would search your heart and you would ask God if there's anything in me that displeases you, if there's anyone I haven't forgiven, if there's any sin that I'm holding on to, please help me, Lord, to repent and give it over to you today. Help me to get right. Maybe this greed is in my heart. Maybe I'm holding on to some things that I know I shouldn't hold on to. Maybe I'm not letting you into the entirety of who I am. Help me to release that before I recognize your death, burial, resurrection. And so for a few moments, just a few moments, if we would all close our eyes, no distractions, completely focused on the Lord, please prepare yourself. Please prepare yourself as we've come to this time of communion.